Santa Claus Down through the chimney with lots of toys All for the little one's Christmas joys He's coming. Nowadays it's all a big joke, a way to get kids to behave. Better not talk back to your mom or you might not get thousands of dollars worth of brand new toys that you'll only forget about in a month. But that's not what it means. That's never what it was supposed to mean. They're there in the songs if you look for them, hidden in words you never would suspect. Do you know what happens if you're bad? Every child on earth can't be genuinely good. That's not the way the world works, right? So what happens to the bad ones? The really, really bad ones. They get coal, right? Wrong. Coal in your stocking is merely a warning, a metaphor of what is to come if you don't shape up. The very bad ones. The naughty, you might even say. They disappear. Never heard of that happening? Well, tell me something. If Santa can live in a frozen wasteland, turn out billions of toys per year, and has the ability to visit every single child around the globe who believes in him over the course of one night, all without ever being seen by human eyes, don't you think he can do other things? Like, for instance, make everyone you hold dear forget you were born? You see, Santa Claus always comes to town. He arrives every year like clockwork. Everyone knows that. But what you don't know is that he never comes alone. How do you think one man sees every child at all times? Simple. He doesn't. Wherever there is light, there are shadows. And that is where they wait, silently watching covered in the inky black remnants of a thousand fires, watching your every move, existing a breath away. You'll never see them, but they always see you. They are the naughty, and they work for him now. When a child is bad, truly bad, without remorse, they first get a warning, a piece of coal in their stocking in place of their gifts. This is their chance to right their wrongs, to make things better. They have one year. If the child is good and kind, if the child believes once again in Christmas magic and treats their family with love, they will receive gifts and life will go on as though nothing ever happened the next year. Lesson learned. But if they do not heed this warning, next Christmas, Santa's shadow will slide down their chimney like a draft. The house itself will shiver. His dark, swirling presence is made of unkind thoughts and chimney smoke with two white, glowing eyes that light the way in front of him. Softly, he will glide through the house, erasing all evidence of the naughty. Pictures, clothing, toys, half-eaten snacks, art projects, little handprints on doors, all of it gone, turned into inky black smoke that dissipates in a matter of seconds. The shadow will then slip into bedrooms belonging to the naughty's parents and siblings. He enters through cracks in the floorboards, keyholes, or the space underneath the door. 
he will approach the sleeping family one at a time, slowly bending down and slipping into their right ear and out of their left. As he exits, all thoughts and memories of the naughty will be gone. Then he appears to the naughty, first in the corner of their room, his eyes casting two beams of light on their face. He says nothing, but when they look in those eyes, they see their past actions, the anguish they have caused, and then, with a wink of his eye and a twist of his head, the shadow summons the child from their bed and into his sack. Through the chimney they go, he collects them Christmas Eve night before taking them back to a sooty cavern under the North Pole. This cavern heats all the little houses in Santa's bright and festive village. The fires burn nonstop, and they are tended to by the naughty. They shovel coal and fan flames, preserving the happiness of children who are good and kind. Santa visits the naughty when they arrive, explaining that they have two jobs. Fan the flames and watch the children. When they are sent out into the world, they hide in the nooks and crannies and houses and schools and watch as other children go about their lives. They report everything they see back to Santa. And if they don't do it well, they go into the furnace. The naughty are always watching from closets and windows, under beds and in abandoned toy chests. They see you when you're sleeping, and they know when you're awake. Because they spend so much time in the fireplace, they are fitted with little iron shoes that clatter if they are not careful. So if you hear them, up on the house top, click, 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 you better mind your parents and keep your room clean. Down through the chimney, Will it be a shadow or old Saint Nick? I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. None of it is historically accurate. That all came out of my brain. Yeah. Please, please, nobody be like, but, 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 but. <laughs> Point of order. That's not right. <laughs> I don't know why everybody's elves. It's We're all elves. <laughs> we have something to say. We aren't naughty. We're nice. <laughs> Maybe it will become canon. That's my legacy. That horrible story at Christmas. Yeah. Oh. Tell your kids, your older kids, don't scare your tiny kids. <laughs> Tell your teenagers. Oh, no. Ooh. Hey, Leslie. Hi, Holly. Hey, fiends. Well, it's that time of year once again where we ruin Christmas. <laughs> Yay. I love a festive folklore roundup. And if you're new here and enjoy this episode, make sure you go back and listen to last year's Christmas Ruiner episode, which was number 42, entitled Hidden, and it's all about elves mm -hmm. and the Lord of the Rings. Yes. So much Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so I wrote that opening next to my new fireplace for inspiration. And as warm and cozy as it is, 
My skin is now feeling very dry mm-hmm. and flushed. Crackly. I know. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm looking rather naughty myself, Ooh, but like not, not in the good sexy okay. way. In the like kid that lives in a chimney way. Oh, <laughs> okay. No good. How are you holding up, Leslie? Um, I'm, I'm a bit, uh, I'm dry for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. My, even, even like my throat just. Tis a season. Yeah. I guess. Well, I could certainly use a little skin-soothing, gingerbread-scented, holiday-kindness-infused validation for a little pick-me-up. How about you? sounds fantastic. Right? Isn't that perfect? Yeah. And the great thing about this is that all of our fiends can help. Simply head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. I know that opening might have led you to believe that it's horrible to be on any list, but we would love for the podcast to be on some lists. Yeah. That yeah. would be nice. Only like the best of variety though. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And ratings and reviews are the only way to get us there. Or apparently you can make your own list, but I was unaware of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if anybody wants to just make us a list, that would be great We're too. fine with that. Mm-hmm. Though we won't ever do it because we're terrible liars. Yeah. No. Be like, somebody made this list. Huh? <laughs> hey, look at this list we're on that we totally didn't make. It was way <laughs> organic with yeah. our listeners. We're number one. Yeah. There's a hundred of them. <laughs> we would fail. Be like, Leslie, that's your personal Spotify list. <laughs> Why does it say Holly's Kitchen Spotify or some shit? <laughs> so, and if you want more We Would Be Dead in Your Life, you can support us over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you will get access to our weekly video after show, Host Mortem, our patrons-only podcast, 30-minute horror movies, Thanks Killing 2 was a good old-fashioned acid trip. And that's coming at you now, so that'll be a good mm. time. There's extra mini-sodes, special interviews, an on-air toast dedicated just to you, and more. And if all of that was too much for you, you can simply share anything on our social media feed to your social media feed, post about your favorite episode, let everyone know when you're listening, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell the elves that assist your local mall Santa, if that's still a job. I always thought they got the short end of the candy cane, if you know what I mean. What were their names, Leslie? Oh, several names. Just like two. Two. Okay. Um, well. What's the first one? Well, I was thinking Toby. But what would rhyme with Toby? I think they Toby, would rhyme. Toby and Kobe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's their names. Or Shoby. <laughs> Poor Shoby. Lives with that name, yeah. also an elf. Yeah, Toby and Shoby. <laughs> their lives are hard. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Then you and your friends and Toby and Shoby can become fiends and we can all hang out together. Just saying it is so silly. Oh, and don't forget to tune into our holiday live campfire stories Christmas special extravaganza this Friday. I made it an extravaganza. I feel like it's going to be. I think every Christmas is an extravaganza. Yeah, last year we we were pretty extravaganza-ish. We are extravagantiers. (laughs) Yeah, great. Our friend John will be there. We will tell you some of the darkest tales in Christmas folklore history. There will probably be makeup, and there will definitely be laughs. And patrons will get a special live Zoom green room beforehand. So sign up now so we can see your faces. Mm -hmm. You might see a little bit of ours without makeup on. It's all a crazy event. Yeah, before we throw the validation on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can watch as it happens. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. So yeah, that's going to be super fun. That's this Friday. Also, after this week's episode, we are taking a couple weeks off for the Christmas holiday and get our 
the end of our year in order. Mm -hmm. um, we, we still have stuff coming for you guys. So we still have the live event Friday the 17th. Then we have a special, um, the next edition of our Christmas Eve Scary Ghost Stories, which will be released on Christmas Eve for you guys. So there's still stuff coming your way. But our main episodes will um, resume after the new year. On January 4th. January 4th. So there you go. Yeah, we uh, sometimes we get busy. We do. Life happens. You'll still see us. We'll probably still throw in a live somewhere and we'll be hanging out yeah. <laughs> for the holidays. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might be together on New Year's Eve. And if that's the case, you might hear from us. There you go. After New Year's Eve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think that's all I have for today. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Well, Holly, actually. Yeah. I do. What is it? Okay. Yay! Right. So ready? We're gonna. It's a. It's a short little story. Okay? I'm so excited. I didn't know this was happening. <laughs> you kept a secret. I did. <laughs> All right. So you remember several weeks ago? It was during the Twilight episode. I think it was a Twilight episode. I mentioned Jerry. Oh man, we yeah. had. This is a Jerry update. The second. Okay. There's another so one. It's not. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So I mentioned this woman, Jerry, who I had thought a lot about and then found out that she died. It was like She was like a spin Southern. instructor, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was like I had this like intuition of like missing her and, and her spin class and then, and then finding out about this. Okay. So my brother <laughs> will be very excited. I love that Adam now makes an appearance almost every week and it's not planned. <laughs> <laughs> so my brother messages me today because yesterday he – um, was home alone. His girlfriend was working, and he was like, "You know what? I'm gonna watch a movie. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna watch Interview with a Vampire. I like really wanted to watch it. Okay. So he puts it on, watches it. He's just like, "Yeah, this is great. Interview with the Vampire." He wakes up this morning, and Anne Rice is dead. Oh yeah, she has died. Right? Oh yeah, that so, did happen yeah. today. So my brother has been like seeing this movie on, but then just got the craziest urge of like, this is the perfect time. I'm going to watch it. And then she died. So he called me because he was like listening to our episode he was about like, Jerry. Anne Rice's Jerry. Yeah. And <laughs> she, he was listening to that episode today and was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I had a Jerry moment. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so I decided because Anne Rice is fantastic and right, of course. very sad that she has passed, I found out a little information about her, so I thought I could talk about yeah, her really quickly. that's great. All right, so Anne Rice was born Howard Allen Francis O'Brien. Get out of here. That was her name. Wow, Anne Rice. She was named for her father. It was said because her mother, Catherine, thought that the unusual name would help a girl get ahead in life. Okay. Uh, Rice grew up bashful of her first name, however, and when asked to introduce herself to her teacher on the first day of school, she replied on impulse that she was Anne. <laughs> oh, and then Anne forever. Mm -hmm. Okay. The name, the name stuck, and then she made it legal. Um, her mom, uh, so she was one of four daughters, and she was, I think, the second oldest. Okay. And her mom really pushed all of her kids to become, like, just more than they were, you know, okay. and, and really pushed, like, writing on them. And uh, that's one reason why she gave them, gave Anne, like, the boy A name. A big name. Because she was like, oh, because this is, you know, this way you can just write under this name. Oh, like a pseudonym. So she, yep. oh, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Side note, I have another friend whose first name, who's born, like, given first name is Howard. And this is a male-identifying person, and they never went by it because they did not like it. They always went by their middle name. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Poor Howards of the world. <laughs> I know. And so 
and race. She got her bachelor's degree in political science and a master's in creative writing. She married her high school sweetheart um, who had the last name race. I meant to double check this, so I'm sorry. I think it was like Stan Rice or something. Um, he proposed to her in a Stan letter. Stan and Ann Rice. Yeah. That's cool. oh, maybe that's why I thought it was. <laughs> Hold on one second, John. I really want it to be real. <laughs> Leslie, please let it be Stan Anne and Ann Rice. Rice's husband. Don't I meant you to, like, dare cut any of this. Stan Rice. It is. It is. Their names were Stan and Ann Rice. <laughs> that's insane. He was a poet and painter. <laughs> oh my God. I wish my husband's name was Ollie. <laughs> Holly and Holly. <laughs> oh, you guys could have been the elves. Yeah, we they, could have. Stan Holly and Holly, Stan and Ann. These yeah. are be- these are Toby and Shelby. Yeah, <laughs> they're ashamed of themselves right now. I know. <laughs> they don't even like each other. I know. Uh, so Stan Rice proposed to her in a letter, which was cute. Since That's she's adorable. a writer, mm-hmm. um, they had a daughter who. So this is interesting for interview with a vampire. Uh, they had a daughter who developed leukemia and died oh. at the age of five. Oh, so perpetual Anne, youth. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, so Anne just like kind of went downhill. She started drinking and writing and developed uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and turned a short story that she had written into Interview with a Vampire. Oh, so during wow. this kind of like manic state, she ended up writing this whole thing. She started to come out of the state, finished her novel, her husband really pushed her to be like, you're a wonderful writer. Get yourself out of this. Like, Stan was like, Anne, you yeah, have to Stan, write. Anne. <laughs> Stan said, Anne, keep writing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so she created an interview with Vampire. And she says that it really wasn't until years later that she realized that the little girl in the story Claudia. was actually was probably written about her oh, daughter and so even like sad. what and just to – Adults trying to raise this child that will never age and will oh my god be stuck. yeah that's so sad I know but yeah well thanks for that but Howard Allen Francis O'Brien oh I'm sorry I just got an Etsy order ding <laughs> and also if you guys haven't finished Christmas shopping yet please go to shoresoapskma.com get some shore soap stuff yeah, you can make Leslie's I'm... phone make that sound yeah. <laughs> Were it you, we would have said your name. Just yeah. saying. So, <laughs> all right. Well, that's my business for today. Well, thank you for having business. <laughs> so good. <laughs> my brother called me. I was like, I now have news to tell Holly. <laughs> oh, okay. Then I'm going to say, in that vein, if you listeners, fiends out in the world, if you have had a Jerry moment like this, where you have like a prophetic moment, send it to us. Mm-hmm. We'll read it. Yeah. Jerry moment of the week. New segment. <laughs> you heard it here first because I thought of it right now. That's right. <laughs> oh, I hope people send me us this. a song in my head. Something about Jerry Moment and like spinning into. I only see Jerry Blank when we say that. So. Okay. <laughs> True. It's like a weird thing. <laughs> All right, then. On with the show. So last year it was elves, and this year we move on to the big man himself, Father Christmas, St. Nicholas, Sinterklaas, or as you may know him if you're a cool younger American like us, Santa Claus. Today we have for you Santa's strange and winding origin story. Actually, it's stories, and they are kind of all over the place, but it's going to be some fun Christmas chaos. And if you think you know everything we're about to tell you, well, strap in because you definitely don't. Christmas may seem all gooey and commercial, but that's just on the surface. 
Santa alone comes from a lot of harrowing tales of stalking, kidnapping, cannibalism, monsters, talking ravens, Norse gods, drunk ghosts, and much, much more. To start, we should say this is almost a disclaimer. Most of the image of Santa Claus that we have today that any of you could conjure up in your head that exists in movies and books and television shows and specials comes from Clement Clark Moore's 1832 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. And I really thought like a lot of those things, I'm going to read it to you in one second, had like these long origin stories. But no, like Clement Clark Moore really did imagine up our image of Santa Claus. Um, And also Coca-Cola did not give him the red suit. That's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me really sad when people say that. So I'm going to read a visit from St. Nicholas for you guys. So yeah, it's your little Christmas treat. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eye should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his courses they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donder and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all, as dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop the courses they flew, with a sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a round little belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying a finger aside of his nose, And giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. So just in case you didn't know that poem, (laughs) or you always wanted to hear me read it, it's a gift for you. Such a delight. Thanks. 
But um, that's the first time uh, Santa really had the team, the specific team of reindeer. That's the first time he appeared in a sleigh. Mm -hmm. Um, The stanzas about being on the housetop obviously gave way to the song I sang in the opening, Up on the Housetop. So, like, this is the anchor of modern Santa. So that's why I wanted to read it, to just kind of give everyone a reminder of, like, "Hmm, this is where he came from. He was also just a miniature guy. The miniature sleigh. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know where that, what that line was. I think that's because he appeared in the distance. I thought it was because he was an elf. So he was actually like, and, and the thought was that this is how he actually could fit into a chimney. He Maybe. was just small. And so were the reindeer were, everything was miniature size. That's terrifying. Yeah. Tiny Santa. Can you imagine? But not like tiny Santa. Like I would say just like a small enough to like go in and out of a chimney. That's tiny Santa. Okay. Imagine you're sitting there waiting for Santa. You did it. You waited up. He comes down your chimney. He's like three foot tall. But like imagine <laughs> imagine the rest of it though. Like it's so jolly and cute. Like just this big round ball of joy <laughs> tumbling down your chimney. And he's just like, <laughs> and then like. Some smoke, he's just high Yeah, as is a he kite. like a fucking gremlin? What's happening? No, he's adorable. Okay. He's just a cute little Pomeranian-esque Don't you bring Santa. Pomeranians into this. He's a cute little guy. Well, I always thought it was because they were seeing him far away flying, and so he looks tiny, like, mm. from your perspective. Maybe, maybe. But it could be either one. Your version? <laughs> Funny and scary. So. It's adorable. Uh, also, this is the first time we see... Santa or St. Nicholas as, like, a well-fed, chubby, jolly guy with a belly. Previously, he's always seen as, like, very gaunt and drawn and thin. Mm-hmm. So that's where we get that that version of Santa Claus. Because he got a lot of validation. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to see us look jolly and plump. That's generally the whole story of Christmas is. Yeah. <laughs> Validate us. Yeah. And then we'll laugh and be happy and maybe give you a present. And we'll come down your chimney and be really short and jumpy. <laughs> I like that this episode has already gone off the rails. I hope you guys are enjoying our, like, slow Christmas descent into insanity. It's fine. (laughs) It is fine. So, anyway, Santa Claus is actually the amalgamation of three historical titans, Norse megagod Odin, St. Nicholas of Myra, the Christian patron saint of children, and the British good-time guy-about-town Father Christmas. The only way I can really describe him, he's just like, he was fun. Look at him. So I think... Of the whole, of the bunch of these guys, the most well-known would be, obviously, St. Nicholas. That's what he's referred to in in the poem I just read, um, and his name is synonymous with Santa Claus. You can switch him out. So let's start there and work our way out. St. Nicholas is often seen as um, an appearance as Santa Claus's scraggly great-grandfather, whom David Sedaris refers to as, quote, painfully thin and wearing a hat that is not unlike a tea cozy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> St. Nicholas is also apparently known by the way more fun title, Nicholas the Wonder Worker. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you go by anything else? I don't know. Ever. I don't know why we switch these things. The church just was like, no, that's too fun. No. Terrible. <laughs> and he is actually the Christian patron saint of yes children, but more than that, sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves— Mm-hmm. So only thieves that are sorry. Right. Prostitutes, brewers, get some beer, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, and students. So with a resume like that, he damn well better be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. 
He's a good time. He is. We're drunk. There's sex workers, also kids, and repentant thieves. Mm Mm-hmm. Historically speaking, Nicholas was a very real man who started his life as Nicholas of Bari, a Greek bishop in the ancient city of Myra, which is located in modern-day Turkey. Nicholas was born to wealthy Christian parents in the Greek seaport of Patara, which is also currently in Turkey. For those of you keeping track and eagerly waiting to stick it to white Santa stands, this makes St. Nicholas not white at all. Mm Mm-hmm. A BBC documentary called, quote, The Real Face of Santa, which I now want to see, I didn't know existed, shows us what the man behind the myth would have looked like. An article in The Guardian states, quote, using forensic technology more often used to reconstruct a facial image from rotting remains, scientists have pieced together an image of St. Nicholas. So this is the actual real-life person. Mm -hmm. The real St. Nicholas is likely to have had olive skin, dark brown eyes, and a wide chin and brow. He stood at five foot six inches tall, so like my height almost. Mm -hmm. I'm five foot four, but like just a little taller, and had a broken nose. However, according to the researchers, he did sport white hair and a beard, as was fashionable for fourth century religious leaders. So they got that part right. According to Manchester University anthropologist Caroline Wilkinson, it was possible that Santa picked up the broken nose during a bar fight. (laughs) Quote, the broken nose suggests something about his character. He was considered a bit of a rebel. He may have come into conflict with people. He could have just fallen down some stairs, but it's quite a a heavy-duty break. Right, right. I like how she was like, maybe he fell down the stairs. But but probably probably didn't. Bar fight. (laughs) Yeah. I love the bit about the broken nose. In one of the earliest attested and most famous incidents from his life, St. Nicholas is said to have rescued three girls from being forced into prostitution by dropping a sack of gold coins through the window of their house each night for three nights so that their father could pay a dowry for each of them. Other early stories tell of him calming a storm at sea and saving three innocent soldiers from wrongful execution— He also chopped down a tree that was supposedly possessed by a demon. Mm. Your standard stuff, you know. Just on a stroll. Yeah. (laughs) That's a demon tree. Gotta cut it down. Yep. Good job, St. Nicholas. And then after he made a pilgrimage from Egypt to Palestine, Nicholas was appointed the Bishop of Myra. Because if you walk a really long way, you get to be a bishop. Yep. That's That's what I heard, right? That's qualifications. Yeah. Then he roamed around bishoping it up for a while and generally being charitable. His penchant for giving gifts started when his parents died, and instead of keeping his inheritance to himself, remember he had wealthy parents, Nicholas chose to distribute it to the poor. But saints have to perform miracles to get their title, right? And I'm betting everybody wants another miracle probably, right? Well, he did some pretty run-of-the-mill saintly stuff, as I mentioned before, and there's a few more thrown in there for good measure. But his most popular and retold miracle is where this whole thing really gets good. And Leslie will elaborate upon this in our live special on the 17th. So if you want to hear more about this story, you really want to listen then. As it goes, St. Nicholas existed in a time of terrible famine. I imagine all biblical times to be those of terrible famine, but nevertheless, this is important. In his village, there was a butcher. And this particular butcher was known to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad man. When he happened on hard times and there was no livestock to be found— the butcher simply began to improvise. He lured three small children into his house with sweets, only to turn around and kill them all. He then placed the dead children into a barrel with salt to cure them. 
planning on selling their bodies as ham. When St. Nicholas happened to stop by his shop, he um, was actually there because he was looking to gather some food to feed the hungry, as saints do. (laughs) The butcher told him about this, like, awesome new ham he had. And St. Nicholas saw right through this butcher's evil lies and immediately resurrected the ham babies post-haste. Oh, no. Yeah. Then they went back home and probably were never the same again. I'm assuming they were pretty salty. (laughs) Ollie, show yourself out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because of this charming tale, St. Nicholas is frequently shown standing next to a barrel, which probably makes you want to throw out all of your, like, rustic festive Christmas (laughs) barrels, doesn't it? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Not us. We'd be like, these have children in them. I love these hand baby barrels. I forgot when we talked about this last year because we did briefly tell some of the Santa Claus stories on our last Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about hand babies for like did 25 we? minutes. I don't even remember, but I'm ready to do I it know. now. So I'm glad you remembered. We loved hand babies last year. <laughs> I love them now. They're still great. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, St. Nicholas has been through enough during his life, clearly. So, in his gift giving immortal form, he only deals with good children. He does not deal with the naughty. Right. Just because a child is bad doesn't mean they're ignored. No, 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 no. St. Nicholas just gets to outsource them to his pal, the Krampus. Or there are a few other, like, dastardly pals he has. But we love the Krampus. Because St. Nicholas is a saint, he clearly won't do anything threatening. So it's cool that he comes part and parcel with a badass monster. Mm-hmm. The Krampus is just one of a few Christmas demons said to travel with St. Nicholas, but the rest of them are kind of nondescript little hellions who some folklorists believe then evolved into elves. They were said to be small, terrifying, fire-scorched little demons. They're like little black horns, like <clears throat> creatures. St. Nicholas was said to have captured them from the flaming pits of hell, then chained them up and forced them to do his bidding, which might have been giving gifts. And it might have been beating children to a pulp with branches and dragging them kicking and screaming into the fiery pits of hell. Their treatment, of course, depended on their behavior. Mm. Yeah. Obedient and hardworking children were rewarded, while lazy children who complained were destroyed. It was a lot rougher back then. Yeah, man. Wow. (laughs) The Krampus, however, is the main event for bad children. He is a tall and menacing creature covered in thick, shaggy black hair. He stands on two goat legs, which end in cloven hooves, like goats' legs do. His posterior is topped with a curly, tufted tail. The Krampus has a human-ish head, human-ish being the key word. It is oversized and features large, prominent goat horns. And while his face has features that are human-ish, so like, you know, the eyes, nose, and mouth are all in like the spot they're supposed to be, but they're all pretty exaggerated. It is nearly always shown with its mouth fixed open in a grimace, and it will prominently display his billy goat beard and long, bright red, protruding, prehensile tongue. Yeah, he is um, He's very handsome. Fucking it's, love him, yeah. first of all. The Krampus is great. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I never want the phrase prehensile tongue to exist again. That means it can grab things. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I was okay not, not knowing what Like that a word. monkey tail? Rip! Stop. Can hang like from a tentacles. tree. Yeah, like a tentacle tongue. Yeah. I've never heard tentacles described as prehensile, just monkey tails. But I guess they could be. Either way, it's terrible and you don't want a tongue to have that capability. Sometimes the Krampus is shown wearing a long, voluminous cloak. You know, when he's feeling fancy. <laughs> sometimes on casual days, he has on what appeared to be later hosen. And sometimes 
totally naked. Hmm. That's I like when the later holes in. Me later. too. I can't say that word. <laughs> later holes in. Later holes on. I think naked Krampus is probably the most fun. He's ready to party. Yeah, but the other one is like also ready to party. It's <laughs> ready to like Oktoberfest party. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the Krampus is shown draped in chains and bells. Sometimes he doesn't have them at all. No matter what he has on, the Krampus always carries with him a large sack and a bouquet of flexible birch branches. What's in the sack? Oh, just wait. If the creature I just described sounds perplexing, hang in there because what he does is pretty much way crazier than what he looks like. But first, back to St. Nicholas. Hmm. Traditionally, each year on the 5th of December, St. Nicholas arrives for his feast. And because, you know, saints get feasts, so Mm -hmm. good for him. This one's his. And because he was known for his generous spirit and for saving children, the kids get presents. Usually, he will arrive in countries who celebrate him on a boat or leading a parade on a white horse. In the European countries of Germany and Poland, boys have traditionally dressed as bishops and begged alms for the poor. In Poland, children wait for St. Nicholas to come and put presents under their pillows, provided that they were good, so it's kind of like the tooth fairy. Mm -hmm. Children who behave badly might expect to find a twig or a piece of coal under their pillows. A twig? Wouldn't you just be like, I probably, that was probably my hair when I came inside. Maybe. Or it's just the parents being like, I couldn't put an actual gift under this pillow, so I'm just going to like shove a twig there. Because I don't know why they do that with the pillow thing. Like what parent was like, this Let's is going to be easy. Yeah. Th- this is stupid. I The tooth fairy thing infuriated me. I was always like, first of all, my children have absolutely lost the money from the tooth fairy in the cracks of their bed because they roll mm-hmm. around so much when it was under their pillow. Mm-hmm. Teeth get lost. When I was a kid, the story was that if you put your tooth under your pillow, you stood the danger of getting it lodged in your ear canal. So, How did you grow up? I don't know. With very paranoid <laughs> situations, I guess. It was on the news. as a ch- oh, Well, I, here's how I grew up. Okay. As a child, I watched the news. That's a problem right there. That's exactly why I am who I am right now. I'm like, guys, murderers are everywhere. And tooth fairy teeth are in your ears. That's, that's my life. My parents still watch the news like four times a day. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> So you will notice in this version of Santa, St. Nicholas version, there is a significant absence of tributes in the form of delicious food stuff left out for him. And that's because cookies and milk for Santa is a distinctly American tradition. In fact, the, the American tradition of leaving a snack for Santa on Christmas Eve is said by some to date back to the Great Depression, which is not as far back as I thought it did. Mm-hmm. Certainly there are other cultures who leave foodstuffs for Santa, but there's no like overarching reason why that I found. Maybe you did. And in the Depression, parents wanted to teach their children the value of giving selflessly to others. And in those days, milk and sugar were rather hard to come by. And so leaving them out for Santa Claus would have been quite the sacrifice. That's like a huge thing. That's Mm -hmm. showing your gratitude in a very big way. In our country, that is where it dates back to. I couldn't really find many more very meaningful traditions other than like the Icelandic uh, leaving food out for the elves, but that's not Santa. They would leave like on Christmas Eve and I think New Year's Eve, they leave snacks out for the elves and they clean their houses. Mm-hmm. And that's like a hold of folk thing, which we talked about last year. Go listen to the elves episode. It's really fun. So Leslie, are there any other traditions that involve leaving a snack for Santa? Uh, there are. Perfect. Okay, so we talked about the Great Depression for the U.S. Sure did. 
But the original roots of this holiday food tradition, like one one of the original roots for this, Mm -hmm. goes back even further all the way to ancient North mythology. So you mentioned Odin. Norse. Norse. What did I say? You said North. North mythology. That's my stutter. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, Norse mythology. Perfect. Sorry, guys. I've had a beer. We've all had a beer. It's been a day. It's also 1.30 in the morning. Shh, don't give away all our secrets. Okay. So Odin, the most important Norse god, <laughs> was said to have an eight-legged horse named Sleipner. Sleipner. Sleipner, which he rode with a raven perched on each shoulder. During the Yule season, children would leave food out for Sleipner in the hopes that Odin would stop by on his travels and leave gifts in return. Such a tradition continues today in countries like Denmark, Belgium, and the Netherlands, where children still believe that horses carry Santa's sleigh mm-hmm. instead of reindeer. On Christmas Eve, they leave carrots and hay, sometimes stuffed into shoes, to feed the exhausted animals. In return, they might hope to receive such holiday treats as chocolate, coins, cocoa, uh, mandarin, oranges, and marzipan. So, I did snacks, like what children leave for Santa all around the world. Great. So, um, in the U.S., Milk and cookies. We sometimes leave carrots for the reindeers. Fun fact. Not yet. When I was a child, uh, yeah. this is a fun fact. Okay. Um, huh. My parents were like, you know what Santa really needs? Yeah. A sandwich and a beer. Because everyone leaves the milk and cookies. Yeah. Had nothing to do with the fact that, like, that might be a more desirable snack on Christmas Eve. Right. At 1 a.m. But, yeah. yeah. And then my dad told me, furthermore, when he was a kid, he left Santa a shot of whiskey because it was cold and that would warm him up. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I love Santa, a sandwich and a beer. Yes. <laughs> Continue. I like it. We we change it up once in a while, probably whatever like my grandfather or my parents wanted. Mm-hmm. Americans will also leave pizza or celery too. Celery? <laughs> yeah. Well, for probably for the reindeer. And Santa, if yeah. you're like dieting and you need some yeah. celery. You, you know, lose more calories than you gain when you eat a celery. They're looking pretty jolly. Continue. <laughs> In Australia, they leave cookies and a cold glass of beer. It's summer during oh, that's Christmas, right. so mm-hmm. like a more refreshing drink. Mm-hmm. In Ireland, they leave a stout of Guinness. So beer is a thing. It's a thing. I'm Alcohol not weird. It's fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> in Britain and in some parts of Australia, a glass of sherry with mince pie is okay. also popular. That's a classy snack. Very classy. Um, in Denmark and Sweden, they leave rice pudding for the elves so the elves don't taunt them. <laughs> First of all, I love rice pudding. You know. Second of all, that's hilarious because the elves are like, we're going to make fun of you. And leave then, us rice pudding. And I feel like after like the several hundredths mm-hmm. of them, they're just like, where's our goddamn rice pudding? <laughs> <laughs> Agree. Uh, in France, they leave a glass of wine and fill shoes with hay, carrots, and other treats for... Santa's donkey, which is um, named Guy, okay. which is French for mistletoe. Oh, that's really cute. Mm-hmm. I like mistletoe the donkey. I know. Aww. In Germany, kids like to skip the snacks and leave handwritten letters for Christkind, a symbolic representation of the Christmas spirit who is responsible for bringing presents on Christmas. And they decorated the letter. They decorate letters with sparkly glue and sugar crystals. I mean, that's fun, but, like, also scary. Yeah. The flying Christ child, which will bring you yes. presents on Christmas. <laughs> Don't leave him snacks. He's a baby. 
Okay. And, and then you mentioned um, Iceland already. But in Iceland, uh, the children like to leave what is called leaf bread. In Icelandic, it is pronounced. I'm going to try it. Get it. Uh, uh, lava breath? Lava breath? Lava breath. La- <laughs> la- yeah, no, that's how it's going to sound. It's way prettier <laughs> when you hear it from somebody. Um, and this tastes like a crispy wafer. Yum. I like yeah. a crispy wafer. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the snacks around the world. We should just make all of them. That's yeah. our Christmas Eve now. We're just going to make all those snacks. And the ones, the countries that celebrate more of like St. Nicholas Day, mm-hmm. that's like January 6th. So they'll do those kind of things on oh, January 6th. St. Nicholas is, the, is December 5th. That's I know, funny. but the, yeah. I also read there was a country where they traditionally leave him clementines specifically. Yeah. Um, I I feel like that's. I don't remember where it is, but I thought I that was just like, like a really cute. Denmark. No, this was like way somewhere else. I believe. Oh, okay, but it's I cute. did because I on on January sixth mm-hmm. I would do I'd put a sh- my shoes out uh, outside my bedroom door really? with yeah I would just put my shoes out there and then I'd wake up on January sixth and there'd be like an orange in my shoe. Aww, yeah, that's really cute. I like that. Us Catholics celebrating Saint Nick's Day. I didn't do any <laughs> of that because I'm a bad Catholic. So anyway, leave leave Santa whatever snacks you damn well please. <laughs> All are acceptable. We yeah. figured that out. Back to the bad children who I guess wouldn't leave Santa a snack or whatever. December 5th also has another name, uh, and that would be Krampusnacht, which I like to celebrate every year. The night in which the Krampus journeys to Earth from the bowels of hell in search of children who have spent their year being naughty. Hmm. The Krampus will stomp through the village finding these children and doling out punishments based on the severity of their offenses. When the Krampus finds a naughty child, he will chase them down, grab them with his prehensile tongue. Then he will either kick them, beat them with his bouquet of birch branches, throw them in his sack and keep them for like a little while and then give them back or bring them back to hell with him to burn for all eternity. Or sometimes... He gets hungry and he just eats them on the spot. That happens. Sometimes you have to set an example. So based on the punishment inflicted, I think you can see why St. Nicholas would want to stay out of this whole thing. I mean, his miracle was saving the hand babies. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's hard to believe that he condones that kind of behavior. And, you know, maybe he doesn't. We don't really know. While it has been theorized by the church that the Krampus is a character drawn from Christian lore, remember that Christianity often tries to take credit for everything— And most people don't believe this to be true. However, if you want to travel that route, the Christians say that the Krampus is a devil from hell and is decked out in chains to symbolize the binding of the devil. I thought it was like a Scrooge and Marley thing, but Mm. I was wrong. He is there as an ambassador of hell, taking naughty children and setting an example for all who are thought to commit foul deeds. You're sure not going to steal that lollipop if you think the devil is going to eat you in the village square. I still think that's going to happen to me. So don't steal a lollipop. Moral of the story. Never have. And that version is fine. He travels around with a saint after all, but most folklorists will tell you that the Krampus goes back much farther than that to pagan rituals and the days of Yule. He does carry birch branches after all, which are a pagan symbol of fertility and were used in the ritual acts of self-flagellation, binding, and mock death. The birch is also a pagan symbol of fertility, which could explain the strange offshoot of Krampus lore wherein he uses his long tongue to attract unchaste women and then punish them in a real violent and rapey way for not being virginal enough. 
Ew, like what woman would be like, yes, that's a sexy ass tongue. No, he sees him and he's like, you are slutty. I'm going to oh. grab you with my tongue and rape you. Ew. Yeah, I don't know what version of the Krampus that is, but it does exist. Terrible. Some cultures like the Krampus sentiment, but just aren't into their whole like rapey monster vibe. In Germany and some places in Germany, the Krampus also exists in Germany in some places. St. Nicholas's punishing thug is known as Belsnickel, which is real fun to say. That's neat. Bell Snickle is a human servant of St. Nicholas's. He is always seen as disheveled, dressed in rags with a long scraggly beard. He wears the mask of a devil. Not he's not actually a devil, it's just a mask. Mm. With a long tongue and carries a switch in one hand and cakes in the other. <laughs> Bell Snickle deals with all children, not just the naughty ones. So he's like, this hand is cakes, this hand is whips. Which one do you get? <laughs> he assesses each child as he comes across them and gives them the cakes or the whip, depending on their disposition. In some versions of the story, Belle Snickle is a woman who scatters her treats on the ground for children to claim, and when they would swarm around to pick them up, she would beat them upon their backs with her switch for being greedy and leave big red stripes on her back, on their back, sorry, which is like the most German thing I can think of. Yeah. Here are these treats. Get the treats. Don't get the treats. Yeah. Ansel and Gretel. Yeah. (laughs) Either way, the spirit of St. Nicholas has undoubtedly given us a lot of what has become of Santa Claus and his darker shadow in the form of the Krampus and many other little friends. Mm. So I also did promise two others. Ah, the Netherlands. Their version of Santa is a fun hybrid of St. Nicholas and the Norse god Odin, and they call him Sinterklaas. He is, so if you've seen Miracle on 34th Street, the little Dutch girl Mm -hmm. sings. The song about Santa Claus. He is depicted as an elderly, stately, and serious man with white hair and a long, full beard. This checks out to St. Nicholas, relatively the same. He wears a long red cape over a traditional white bishop's alb and sometimes a red stole. I mean, the fancy versions of him. He dons a red miter and a ruby ring. He also holds a gold-colored, oh, I'm so bad at religion, C-R-O-S-I-E-R, Crossier, guys, I don't, I don't do church. I'm sorry. Which is a long ceremonial shepherd's staff with a fancy curled top. And I should know that. You're good. He traditionally rides a white horse. Sinterklaas does. Um, and like you said, like sometimes I would have Sinterklaas or Santa Claus, whatever, being pulled his sleigh being pulled by a horse. Sometimes he just straight up rides a horse. In fact, right. a lot of the times he does. Mm-hmm. He carries Sinterklaas carries a big red book, which he records whether each child has been naughty or nice in in the past year. So that's where Santa Claus gets his book from, this version of him. Dutch children will put out a shoe filled with hay and a carrot, like you said, for St. Nicholas's horse. On St. Nicholas Day, gifts are tagged with personal humorous rhymes written by the sender, which is really cute. In some countries, children leave their shoes in the foyer or on the front porch on St. Nicholas Eve in hope that St. Nicholas will put some coins on their soles or candy inside them. And if the children are naughty, they get the Krampus. So. Mm-hmm. But where did Sinterklaas get some of his rather odd defining characteristics? Well, before Christianity, Scandinavian people celebrated a 12-day winter holiday called Yule, which involved hanging evergreen wreaths, singing songs, decorating pine trees, hanging mistletoe, and burning a log in the fireplace, which is suspiciously a lot more like our Christmas than the super religious Christian one. Yeah. But I digress. Some say these traditions were adopted to help Christians convert pagans, so they would take their traditions so they felt more comfortable and then they could get them. But I suspect they were really just more fun, so we kept them. 
didn't we didn't we really start that in like the Victorian era? Mm, no, I think some of that goes before them because oh, okay. it was like this is what books say that they were trying to be like, oh look, we do the same thing. You can be comfortable, and we will convert you. Okay, I don't know how much they were trying to do that in the Victorian era. Mm. I think that goes back a little farther. Scandinavian folklore relies heavily on Norse mythology, and they have a god, as you said, named Odin, Thor's dad. How did you not mention that part? (laughs) He dresses in a red cloak and a fur-lined hat. Very Santa-ish. He's prone to giving gifts, spying, and judgment of behavior. So he's real judgy, but he'll also give you a present. Right. Odin also had a crew of industrious elves known as, quote, Odin's men, who made small gifts for Odin to deliver. This didn't exactly happen in the North Pole, but very, very close. Many parts of Scandinavia are situated above the Arctic Circle, which makes them North Pole adjacent, kind Mm -hmm. of North Pole-ish, if you will. Odin himself was said to live in a frozen world to the north called Asgard, where he often clashed with icy giants and hung out with Thor. I'll mention Thor every chance I can. Similarly to our Santa and his reindeer, Odin flies across the sky on an eight-legged horse named Sleipnir. In most stories, Odin sat on the back of the horse, but in many other Norse myths, common animals with the uncommon ability to fly would pull sleighs or chariots for the gods and goddesses. Mm -hmm. Even the names of Santa's reindeer, as given by Clement Moore, as I read in the poem earlier, evoke images of Odin. Donner and Blitzen are similar to the Germanic words for thunder and lightning, both of which were commanded by Odin and Thor. So how did we get reindeer out of a single horse? Well, I mean, the nearest I can gather is that the number eight corresponds to the number of legs on Sleipnir, Odin's horse, and they're both kind of four-legged prancy animals. But other than that, the link isn't enormously strong. The first reference to Santa's sleigh being pulled by a reindeer appears in Old Santa Claus with much delight which sounds like there is a language barrier, but I don't think there was, an 1821 illustrated children's poem published in New York. The names of the author and the illustrator were, I guess, not immediately released, but the poem was published by a man named William B. Gilly as a small paperback book entitled The Children's Fend, a New Year's present to the little ones from 5 to 12. Because people were (laughs) so good at naming things back then. (laughs) Later, Gilly would write that he knew about reindeer living in Arctic lands from his mother, who was from that area. And a year later, Clement Clark Moore would anonymously publish his poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, otherwise known as The Night Before Christmas, co-opting the idea and popularizing it as a part of Christmas lore. In the 1823 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, they give the name of the eight modern reindeer, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donder, originally written, but then commuted to Donner and Blitzen. But... L. Frank Baum, who is best known for writing The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and its sequels, also wrote a story called The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus in 1902, and it includes a list of 10 reindeer, none of which match the names of the versions found in A Visit from St. Nicholas. L. Frank Baum's reindeers, Flossie and Glossy, are Santa's principal reindeers. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Santa's then collects eight more named in rhyming pairs, Racer and Pacer and Fearless and Peerless, Ready and Steady and Feckless and Speckless. Oh, God. Not good. Not great, L. Frank Baum. You didn't do great. We're going to keep the other ones. When The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus was eventually adapted into a television special in 1985, which I now really want to see, 
the producers replaced these 10 weirdo reindeer with the eight um, reindeer that are more compatible with the ones we know today. So they weren't like <laughs> flossy and glossy and feckless and racer. They weren't like principal reindeer. <laughs> yeah, no. These are my main men. You are the supporting reindeer. Yeah. These are my principal reindeer. <laughs> no, they didn't do that. They gave us the normal ones. But other than that, though, I don't really know why reindeer became, became Santa's transportation of choice. Leslie, can you shed a little light on the virtues of reindeer, maybe? Why do they deserve Santa? Or do they? Maybe they're assholes and deserve to be burgers. I don't know. Um, sure. So um, you told me to talk about reindeer. So yes, I'm just giving you some fun facts about reindeer. Perfect. Okay. I want to know all about reindeer. Cool. Flossy and glossy, if you please. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Reindeer live in the Arctic tundra and mm. damp forests of Greenland, Scandinavia, Russia, Alaska, and Canada. And I heard they're better than people. Yes. Great. Mm -hmm. In North America, reindeer are also known as caribou. Reindeer are a species of deer. They are the only deer species in which both the male and female can grow antlers. They're so big, too. Yep. Mm -hmm. I always feel like they're going to be normal deer size. They're not. They're they fucking aren't. huge, they're like a huge. buffalo. Yep. Male reindeer begin growing their antlers in February and shed them around November. Female reindeer keep their antlers through the Christmas season, leading oh. many to believe that Santa's reindeers are female. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. The males are a bit larger than female as per usual. Reindeer can live about 15 years in the wild. Domesticated reindeer, uh, which is what we... So usually the wild reindeer is what we call a caribou. Okay. And then the domestic ones we call reindeer. Mm -hmm. Domesticated caribou, we okay. call reindeer here. Um, so the domesticated reindeer, uh, reindeer cared for by humans or elves. Of course. Can live as long as 20 years. All right. Domesticated or reindeer. Or forever. Or forever. Yeah. Domesticated reindeer also seem to have shorter legs uh, than their wild brethren, who are generally larger, faster, and more active. Mm. Um, but uh, most scientists aren't, like, concerned about that fact. It's just more like— They don't have to run as much. Yeah, they're just like it's it's just a evolutionary kind of thing. Yeah. So it's not it's not like it's hindering them at all. Yeah. Reindeer love lichen, which oh. is a moss-like plant that is often found in high open spaces. It's so popular that rain with reindeer that it became known as reindeer lichen. Cute. And that's actually what they would be prefer that's what they would prefer to eat. So get so your lichen. Get your lichen. Um they like a lot of green veggies. And I did find out that reindeer don't love a carrot. Oh, no. They will eat them, but it's really hard on their, like, jaws and their, their like, teeth. It's not oh, – no. it's it's just harder for them to chew. So are, maybe, like, a maybe like a like a soft carrot, like, broil it or something. Boil it. Are they, like, a leafy vegetable eater? Yeah, like, they leave love, them lettuce instead? Because yeah. they're more mm -hmm. like a cow. They have the – or deer, they have flat teeth. Yeah. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, a carrot would be a struggle for a deer because if you look at, like, the structure of a deer's jaw, they have, like, big flat teeth in the back mm -hmm. and, like, not much in the front, just a few little to, like, pull. Yeah. So, like, a big hard vegetable would be very difficult for them to I work think around. I people did that because of the – because originally it was horses. Yeah. Horses love a carrot. They love a carrot. Or but an apple. reindeer are like, mm, I, I want lettuce some lettuce. And lichen. And lichen. Give me that fungus. Go That's harvest great. your lichen. Do not get it from Michael's. I it is, is chemically fungus, treated. It's moss-like. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, so reindeer thrive in the cold weather. Love it. Their fur and hooves are designed to withstand frigid temperatures. The hooves are also designed to cut into ice and snow, gaining better traction. Perfect. Perfect for when they need to run and get some speed and then get up there in the air. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, the fact that they thrive in cold weather makes it great when they're, like, up high and, you know, it gets colder up there. Yeah. Their noses do, in fact, turn red. What? Yeah. Very cute. That's the cutest fact. Reindeer have a dense amount of blood capillaries in their nasal cavities, about 25% more than humans do. So, you know, like our noses get like a little red. Or very red. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when the weather turns particularly cold, blood will flow, uh, blood flow to the nose increases, causing it to redden. And keep the nose warm while it roots down in the snow looking for food. <gasps> That's so cute. I know. It is believed reindeer were domesticated by native peoples at least 2,000 years ago in northern Eurasia. Reindeer were used in the same way we used horses to transport people and supplies. There's even a good deal of evidence that humans used to milk reindeer. Gross. You don't really hear that now, though. No. To this day, there are still some who rely on reindeer domestication. Native peoples in Serbia and Canada, where um, they are called caribou, use reindeer for clothing, work, food, and to even pull sleds. Reindeer are thought to be more powerful than an average horse and can run up to 40 miles an hour, even with an attached sled. Wow. I did read somewhere. It is really fast. Yeah, that's how they get to all the houses. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I did read somewhere that only males are trained to pull sleds, but then I couldn't find that fact anywhere else. Mm. So I think we are still okay to think that— Misogynistic reindeer facts. Get out of here, people. Right, right. So I think we're still okay to think that females are the ones running the show. Perfect. All right, so other facts as to why we can believe that females are the ones that Mm -hmm. are running Santa's sleigh. Females keep their antlers through the holidays. They can pull sleds. And they also retain 50% of their body fat in the dead of winter, while males drop to 5%. So it would seem that in a cold night air, females would hold up better, right? Yeah. Okay. And, like, they keep their antlers because we know how to dress for a party. Exactly. Perfect. But, listen, all holiday, all reindeers are bullies because— Oh, no! Because if all their noses turned red, then they just bullied Rudolph to think he was the weirdo. And they, he wasn't. He That's, wasn't. They're assholes. They're like assholes. I said, maybe they do deserve to be burgers. <laughs> yeah, okay. So Remember when you ate Christmas? <laughs> I know. I was going to talk about it. So also reindeer or caribou meat is really delicious and very healthy for you. It's a lean meat and is said to be similar to venison um, or antelope, which okay. I have had neither. Uh, but I have eaten You've never caribou. had venison? But no. you've had reindeer? That's yeah. very interesting. Yes. Um <laughs> I listened to this guy talk. It was it was on a Joe Rogan podcast, but he was talking about living out in the wild, like in Alaska, and by himself. And Just like Bear Grylls? What's happening? <laughs> kind of, kind of okay. like that, but this guy was like amazing and very like – he was a very interesting. I like okay. got super deep in his podcast, and he talked about most of his protein source came from caribou meat. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so after just listening to this three-hour podcast, it was just this random man and living <laughs> – like 12 years oh by himself God. in Alaska. Um, I went to a burger joint that does have some rare meats on the menu once in a while. And so this guy had, I don't know if he hunted it or what, but he got it in and it was a uh, caribou. And I was just like, yes. And Gotta so do I, it. I tried it. He also had the camel on there, but I was no, like, no, you. caribou. It was probably the most delicious burger that I ever ate. Ever since then, I have not enjoyed a burger. Where did, Where is this? 
Um, it was in like uh, Smithville. Oh, New okay. Jersey, yeah. All right. I think it's called Tony's. Tony's Burger. Okay, Tony, you have some reindeer burgers. It was, yeah, very good. Do they harvest ice? Do they help in that endeavor? Yes. I'm gonna make as many frozen <laughs> references as I can. So <laughs> that's for the kids who should not be listening to this. But whatever, right? <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So those are the reindeer facts. In the end, they deserve to be burgers. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I, it makes sense that Santa would have them because if he is up in the north, yeah, they would they would work much better than a horse who would be like, "Fuck this! It's too cold. I can't handle it." Yeah. But I will eat a carrot. So. Yeah, so- you no. win some, you lose some. Yeah. They <laughs> just can't be choosers. That's how that goes. <laughs> All right. Well, then back to the comparison between Santa and Odin, because Odin did have an actual horse. Santa's mm-hmm. the one that got reindeers. Odin and Santa are both all-knowing, but they have help. Santa has elves who, in some versions of the story, also spy on children and take notes on their behavior. I had never heard that, but apparently there are versions of the story. I guess the elf on the shelf is that way. Yeah. Because that's the elf that lives in your house and watches your child's behavior. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, okay. Uh, While Odin has two companion ravens who he sends out to survey the people and take note of those who are especially good or bad. For the good people, Odin will leave small trinkets, bread, and good fortune, while those on Odin's quote-unquote naughty list receive a heavy dose of bad luck. So the similarities are pretty striking there. But the Netherlands is not part of Scandinavia, though it is close. And so, in the cosmic blender that is cultural adaptation, they created a character, a man, a whatever, um, called Sinterklaas, who seems to have sort of been Odin's right-hand man slash St. Nicholas's evolution. Like, he's like a very weird combination of the two. Sinterklaas is said to have ridden on Odin's eight-legged stallion through an event called the Wild Hunt, which... (laughs) which I love and sounds like... So like like Odin brought his boy. Yeah, he was like, let's go. (laughs) Which was essentially a parade of ghosts and gods that would tear through a town like whooping and hollering as a precursor to a majorly awful event such as a war or plague. So if the wild hunt races through your town, horrible shit's about to go down. During these hellish parades, Sinterklaas was accompanied by two jet black ravens. These ravens would fly ahead to the villages and listen at the chimneys of locals to report back to Odin the behavior of said mortals. So naughty and nice was always on the menu. It's just been served up by a widely evolving staff. And of course, there are versions of this story and the stories of the wild hunt that are just Odin leading it and riding his own damn horse into the wild hunt and releasing his own ravens. And there is no Sinterklaas. But the evolution of this is blurry and unclear, as evolution often is. And what I think really happened is that area in the Netherlands just had both sets of mythology. And so they went, "Mm, put them together. And that's what happened. Over time, Santa's helpers evolved from ravens and small charred gremlins to, I hate to even say it, but slaves. Because we can't fucking have nice things and we don't even deserve them. Anyway, for a time, Santa traveled with a team of slaves who helped him uh, about with his work. But then when that became more of an obvious atrocity, they were adopted, they were adapted down to helpers. And then again, once they were filtered through different cultures, they were elves. But in some parts of the world, Santa is still attended by helpers who are in fact full-grown men and women, often dressed in blackface, namely a character called Black. Pete, 
Mm, yeah, there's a parade of them in the Netherlands. It's a bunch of people that look real minstrelly and it's very questionable and they should really stop that really fucking soon. But I'm not, I don't control culture, so I'm just reporting it. Black Pete appears yearly in the Netherlands to kick off the month-long celebration St. Nicholas seems to warrant there. Black Pete will arrive ahead of St. Nicholas and kick off the merriment, handing out gifts and amusing children by day, then listening at their chimneys by night. Mm -hmm. So this guy's like, I'm your friend. Look at me. Super racist. And then at night, he sneaks around and listens at their chimney to hear what they're saying. And then he reports back to St. Nicholas with what he heard from these chimneys. And he says who has been good and who has been bad. And this is much like the ravens of old and the even the mm -hmm. black color is translated directly, directly to Black Pete is there to kind of tell on people. The like chim tattletale. Yeah. Snitches get stitches, bitches. You said it a third one, bitches. It did. Wow, good for you. <laughs> the chimney listening thing, though, is a lot more terrifying when it's like a grown-ass man. Somehow when it's just birds, because birds fly around and land on shit. When they're landing on stuff and they listen and they fly away, like, whatever. When it's like a man sitting up by your chimney, like, what is happening? Yeah. That is way worse. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I can see him, like, moving around like the Grinch, you know? Like, mm -hmm. like well, those Except for he has this horrible grinning face and he's in I blackface. Know. It is a nightmare. Back in the Netherlands, St. Nicholas also arrives on a boat in early December, and then he has a parade wherein he rides on a white horse and has his the people of the village, like, fuck up bad kids and watches the Krampus rain chaos on the villages and then maybe hands out a little candy and a few toys. It's all pretty perplexing, and I don't condone or celebrate any of these things. I simply report it. The Netherlands is a confusing place. Mm -hmm. But wait, there's more. Oh. Mm -hmm. Finally, in, in our, like, trio of Christmas, I don't know, fabulosity, we have the British precursor to Santa Claus, Father Christmas. Father Christmas was the inspiration for a lot of the Christmas carols we currently enjoy. He's in a lot of stories. He's very visible. Um, as And he was the subject of a lot of traditional, historic, folkloric plays. These were called like mummer plays or mummers, which okay. I, I guess is the evolution of the word mummer, which I, are unsettling in my opinion, but whatever. For sure. They yeah. also have a lot of history in blackface, but they don't want to talk about it. Anyway, they did these Father Christmas plays back in a time when Christmas was actually illegal in England which we kind of forget about. So, Leslie, why don't, you, why don't you give us a little break before we get into all the Father Christmas stuff, and um, let's talk about some Christmas songs. Ooh, it's time. It is time. I told you, this episode is chaos. We're just Christmasing all over the place. So, Holly. Yes. Um, let's talk about some fun, original pop music Christmas songs. Please. Um, you got to sing a little. So I did. I'm going to get to sing. Wouldn't be an episode if you didn't sing. Especially for Christmas. I know. All right, so I have I picked out three songs since this is Santa centric episode, and there was like a big three I did. You didn't yep. even know that. Good job. There we go. I decided to pick the songs that involve Santa. Perfect. Right? I'm going to sing a couple lines, and then I want you to tell me who you think sang it or the name of the song, whatever. Oh, man. We're what gonna if I don't get any of it. You might not. You I might, might not. You might at least get one. All right. The other ones will be funny. Okay. All right. First All right. one. Hey, sis, it's Christmas. You can cross me off your wish list. Call Santa Claus and the missus. We're going to have the best Christmas that ever existed. Oh, no. 
<laughs> That's somebody white rapping about Santa, 100%. I'm someone white rapping about Oh, uh, yeah, you are. That's fine. Hey, sis, it's Christmas. Is it an Olsen twin? No. Oh, no. Um, It's very new, too. It's new? It's That's new-ish. new? It's newest. Newish. There's a rap that happens, like, in the middle. That's just the beginning. And tell me what it is. RuPaul. Hey, sis, it's Christmas. Oh, I like that more. <laughs> so can you imagine? Hey, sis, it's Christmas. Yeah. You can cross me off your wish list. Now I can. Before, yeah. I thought it was the Olsen twins. Like, hey, sis. <laughs> All right. You better watch out. You better not cry. <laughs> you better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. I really like Santa Claus is coming to town. That was a perfect Springsteen. Thank you. <laughs> Clarence, maybe you get saxophone for Christmas or whatever he says yeah. in the middle. Oh, no. <laughs> good New Jersey representation. Very good. All right. And then my favorite. Gotta get the finger in the ear for oh, this man. one. Oh, man. Leslie took out one of her ear, like, <laughs> headphones just to fake a monitor for this. <laughs> Santa, can you hear me? I have been so good this year, and all I want is one thing. Tell me my true love is here. He's all I want, just for me. Underneath my Christmas tree, I'll be waiting here. Santa, that's my only wish this year. Okay, I know this song, and I could have sung it with you. Yeah. I chose to let you keep it as a solo. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I don't fully know. Is it Britney? It's yeah. got to be Britney. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. <laughs> Britney Spears, my only wish this year. Well, she got her wish this year. I hope this letter reaches <laughs> you Who knows first two? Get out of here. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, with those very traditional Christmas carols. Yes. <laughs> so traditional. Um, let's talk about Father Christmas. So Father Christmas is the traditional English name for what they believe to be the personification of Christmas. And he is shown not, I mean, we're going to get to this in a minute, but he looks like the ghost of Christmas present in A Christmas Carol. So he's like a happy looking dude with like a beard and long hair. He wears a wreath of holly and sometimes a red robe that is trimmed in fur, sometimes a green robe. He's often shown with like Sometimes a club, sometimes an abundance of food and drink. He's like likes to party. That's his thing. Mm-hmm. Father Christmas, which is funny because he is synonymous with Santa Claus now. Like if you say Father Christmas, someone will say, well, that's Santa. It wasn't originally. He had nothing to do with children. He partied with adults all the time. He was like, let's get drunk and have fun. That was his thing. <laughs> the English personification of Christmas was first recorded in the 15th century with Father Christmas himself appearing in the mid-17th century in the aftermath of the English Civil War. The Puritan-controlled English government had legislated um, laws to abolish Christmas altogether because they thought it was papist and had outlawed its traditional customs. So so Christmas is illegal, Mm. which a lot of us don't, like, remember or realize. And also— Yeah, I don't remember that happening. I mean, I have a lot of lives, so back then I was (laughs) probably not in England. I don't know. I was just— a unborn baby. Yeah. <laughs> I was so young. <laughs> Observing <laughs> illegal Christmas in England. <laughs> Royalist political pamphleteers. Ooh. There's tears for you. Yes. Uh, linking the old traditions with their cause. So people who were fighting for like, I want England to stay the same. I would like to continue to celebrate Christmas. I want to keep my Catholicism. 
linked the symbol of Father Christmas with the feeling of the good old days. So like, this guy represents everything that was good about what we did. Make Christmas great again. Gross. <laughs> yeah. They, they said he was a symbol of feasting and getting together and good cheer. And then following the restoration in 1660, follow, Father Christmas's profile kind of declined. Mm. His character was maintained yet again during the 18th and into the 19th century by Christmas folk plays later known as Mummer's Plays, which I said. They're like farce-type plays where he would be portrayed as a man in like a paper mache mask with like giant facial features and like it was very exaggerated. That's mm. what – these would be like on the street type stuff. Um, and then until Victorian times, Father Christmas was really only, as I said, concerned with adults. He went to their feasts, he made merry, he drank, he partied, he sang. He had no particular connection with children whatsoever, nor with giving anybody a present or coming to their homes at night or stockings or chimneys or reindeer. But as later Victorian Christmases developed into child-centric family festivals with the introduction of things like a visit from St. Nicholas and as I mentioned in the Elf episode, the, what was it, Gotti's Lady Book or something? Oh, it was like yeah. a magazine that had an illustration of Santa and all his elves. With this image becoming more popular, Father, I know, what a terrible name. I think it was Gotti's Lady Book. That's what it was. That's so much is coming back to I me. know. But as these kind of Christmas traditions developed, Father Christmas became a bringer of gifts. The popular American myth of Santa Claus arrived in England in the 1850s and Father Christmas started to take on some of Santa's attributes. This is when they started to meld together, kind of like Odin and St. Nicholas in um, the Netherlands. By the 1880s, the new custom had become established with Santa coming at night and coming down the chimney and being known as Santa Claus and also Father Christmas. Hmm. You can still call him Father Christmas. Father Christmas. He's in songs. It works. But he was often illustrated wearing a long red hooded gown trimmed with white fur. Charles Dickens' 1843 novel, A Christmas Carol, was actually, like, way more important than anybody gives it credit for. A Christmas Carol saved Christmas, basically. Without it, we probably wouldn't have the kind of Christmas we have today. It has been credited with both reviving interest in Christmas in England and with shaping the themes attached to it. A famous image from the novel is John Leith's, um, this says illustrations, as I have, it's a quotation, but they're not. I believe they're cutouts. The illustrations in the original version of A Christmas Carol are woodcuts. Oh, right, um, right. Because I do have a version of it because I, I performed in A Christmas Carol for like 13 years. So it's pretty special to me. Anyway, the ghost of Christmas present is, is supposed to be exactly what Father Christmas looks like. Although not explicitly called Father Christmas, the character wears the holly wreath as shown sitting amongst a lot of food and drink in a wassail bowl. Wassailing is... Um, kind of like Christmas trick-or-treating, a lot like the Mary Lloyd, which we talked about last year in our Christmas special, um, where you would go house to house and sing and they would give you punch with booze in it, which also sounds real fun and I would love to do it. For sure. Uh, this Father Christmas is also dressed in a loose fur gown, but it's usually green rather than the red, like Father the Father Christmas image in Christmas Carol mm -hmm. is always green. Right, because um, he's probably a Slytherin. I saw the Cursed Child a couple days ago and my Slytherin bride is at an all-time high right now. <laughs> The remake of it is really good. That is totally off topic, but you said Slytherin, so there it is. So if you ever thought the ghost of Christmas present looks like a young Santa, you're not wrong. That's exactly what he's supposed to be. Mm. Any residual distinctions between Father Christmas and Santa Claus kind of faded away in the early years of the 20th century. And 
even to this day, if you look up Father Christmas in the dictionary or any encyclopedias or any online versions of that, it's going to just be a synonym to Santa Claus. Mm. So okay. it comes from English medieval tradition. But Wait, so you're saying that Santa should be like a young guy? If he's right. to be Father Christmas, yeah, he's yeah. supposed to be younger. Can you imagine if it was just like Abercrombie models, like being Santa Claus? In like a loose fur-trimmed robe. Yeah, that's like what your kids are <laughs> With like. With a wreath yeah. in their hair. It would just yeah. be all moms lined up. <laughs> Love Santa. Christmas is great. Let's go to the mall. Santa's at Abercrombie this yeah. year. <laughs> I'm on board for that. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. Make Santa I mean, hot again. <laughs> John, cover your ears. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> In that vein, American Santa, well, not the hot Santa vein. This is what I wrote. We went on a tangent. American Santa has evolved into a sort of jack of all trades. He keeps track of the world's children. He annotates who's been good or bad, does that himself, doesn't have an assistant. Poor American Santa. Oh, man. He then brings gifts to the good little boys and girls and coal to the baddies. But why coal? Well, I wish I had more of an exciting explanation for this one, but unfortunately, it's decidedly simple. Coal was commonly burned in hearts and fireplaces to heat homes. Santa Claus, Sinterklaas, his controversial assistant Black Pete, and sometimes the Krampus himself are said to enter homes by coming down the chimney. Coal was the closest thing they could grab and leave as a slight for children who misbehaved, so basically it was like leaving them garbage. Mm -hmm. So the modern equivalent would be like water bottles or like coffee grounds or, you know— <laughs> Whatever else is in your trash. It's not nice, and it sends a pretty direct message when you think about it that way. So they're really just being petty. There's no, like, meaningful thing behind coal. Right. And lastly, as a little extra, last year I did a What the Friday, which I haven't done in a while, and I plan to bring back in the new year. I did one on chimney lore, and I thought this would be a fun place to share it with you all. So, specifically, our current Santa came to life courtesy of Washington Irving in his 1809 book, Knickerbocker's History of New York. So this is before a visit from St. Nicholas. Right. So Washington Irving describes St. Nicholas as a man who is seen, quote, riding jollily among the treetops or over the roofs of houses, now and then drawing forth magnificent presents from his breeches pocket and dropping them down the chimneys of his favorite. So this version of St. Nicholas was like, well, I only like these 10 people, so I'm going to pull a present out of my pants and throw it down their chimney. <laughs> Fun. That's more like Abercrombie Santa. Yeah. So there you go. He's like, these are my model friends. <laughs> I like these people the most because they're the prettiest. I'm going to throw presents down their chimney. The rest of you are all Hollister to me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But Washington Irving didn't get the idea to have Santa drop gifts down chimneys out of nowhere. The concept that magical creatures come into homes through their chimneys actually goes all the way back to the 1400s, where there was a widespread belief and fear, actually, that witches could pass through solid objects to enter your house. So people were very scared that if someone, like, there was a witch, they could just go through your wall and get into your house, according to Jeffrey Burton Russell, who is the author of Witchcraft in the Middle Ages. So in Witchcraft and wizardry, Holly. Don't get me back to Harry Potter. In 1486, Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Sprenger wrote something called Malleus Maleficarum, which, God, we still are Oof. in Harry Potter land, which is considered to be one of the most thorough books on witchcraft to and help— wizardry. Damn it. To help ease this fear 
an anxiety that like magical creatures could get through their wall. So basically in this book, they said, well, witches can only get through your house through the chimney or window. So don't be afraid of them coming in your wall. <laughs> You're like, but my chimney but my, window. But I still have those things. So yeah. why am I less afraid? <laughs> I don't know. Since then, the chimney has become synonymous with um, European folklore as a link between the earthly world and the supernatural. So you can get into the supernatural world right through your chimney. Oh, and you have two of them I, now. I only have one chimney. I have two fireplaces. Okay. In case you wanted to come in my chimney. <laughs> so it wasn't wholly original either when Clement Moore had St. Nicholas drop down the chimney in his famous poem. So while it may seem like a clever and festive idea to don the coat and hat and slide down that brick tunnel of death to the delight and amazement of your friends, I beg of you, don't. Remember that you are actually not Santa or a mythical being. I know, you're very jolly and almost always full of cookies, but you are not the real Santa and chimneys are hot, smoky death traps. Not convinced? Let's see what we can do about that. So here are my three What the Fridays from my chimney, chimney lore episode. One, I bet you're thinking, what about chimney sweeps? They were always all up in chimneys and they seemed fine. I've seen Mary Poppins several times and Bert never died once. Hmm, yeah. Well, first of all, if a Victorian chimney sweep were to be seen in the company of a small child, it probably wouldn't have been on a jolly holiday. You see, while chimney sweeps wore the caps and carried the brush, it was their assistants who did most of the dangerous work. And who were their assistants, you ask? Well, the sweeps found that small, nimble, desperate-for-work, poverty-stricken children are really best when it comes to shimmying down a chimney. They probably thought it was so fun. Uh, <laughs> if they made it out. They would be sent down to free stubborn clogs and usually get the job done, but also they frequently got stuck and died, but they mm. were seen as disposable, and so it didn't matter. These children called climbing boys, bring me my climbing boy, <laughs> <laughs> would inch down the chimney much like the Grinch, but one tiny misstep and they could easily get stuck again much like the Grinch. Interestingly enough, that is where the word stuck comes from. No, not the Grinch. The past participle of to stick wasn't created by linguists. It was created by chimney sweeps on the job. And when the word was in use, it usually meant curtains for the poor climbing boy who grinched himself in. But then again, that's why the sweeps chose to use them. There are quite a few of them about, and nobody seemed to miss them. Hmm. Yep. Except for their family. They were orphans, mostly. Oh. Yeah. It's really sad. They were, they were children who nobody missed and who were desperate for money. And sometimes they were, if they weren't orphans, they were from families who had quite a few children to provide for. So it was just like, well. So sad. Yeah, super sad. Two, how does one die in a chimney? Well, there are the fanciful horror movie ways of um, like having the home's occupant light a fire without knowing someone is in there. That's like a legend, which has happened and it was ugly. And then there's the legendary prolonged exposure leading to starvation. There's like that scary story where like, my dad went down the chimney because he was pretending to be Santa and he starved to death or whatever, which has not happened. That never really happened. In reality, a chimney dweller usually succumbs to something called positional asphyxia, which simply means you have suffocated by your own body's position. This is why you can't sleep upside down like a bat, which is really sad. Our lungs simply aren't built for it, and frankly, neither are our hearts. Our body works in conjunction with the Earth's gravity and needs to stay right side up in order to do so. Most people who go down a chimney don't pencil dive in feet first and then stick like a cork. They shimmy down in a sitting position or go at it head first if they're feeling very bold. Getting stuck in a sitting position usually means you're either compressed with your knees pressed to your chest or you're scrunched down with your feet above your head. 
Either way, you're not going to breathe well for very long. It's a pretty agonizing process and one that I don't have time to fully explain today, but I'm sure we'll make our way back to it as there is a case that involves it. So, has anyone actually dressed up as Santa and died in a chimney? I believe this is number three. The short answer, no. Phoebe Cates lied to you in Gremlins. Santa has never been, no Santas have been reported dead in chimneys, but plenty of other people have, and not just sad Victorian children. More than once, a person has tried to rob an empty home by sneaking through the chimney only to get themselves wedged in and ended up as that thing the homeowner smelled when they got back from vacation. Where's? Yep. Still others tried, failed, and came out alive, though probably not super proud of themselves. As recently as a couple years ago, a California woman was caught trying to enter her ex-boyfriend's home through the chimney. Apparently, she was not as flexible as she thought, and she quickly got stuck and began screaming for help. When her ex discovered what was going on, he called the police. Rescue workers first tried to coat her with liquid soap and slip her out. (laughs) Just drench her in butter. (laughs) Yep, which is the (laughs) dumbest idea. As hilarious as that is, it didn't work, obviously, and so they had to bring in the jackhammer and remove her manually. Mm. Eventually, she was extracted, looking quite tarred and feathered. I've seen pictures. It's as funny as you think it is. (laughs) So please leave the chimneys to Santa and child ghosts as God intended. Oh, my God. And that is all of the Santa origins that I have for you today. Oh, man. Holly, I have one more. Bring it. Okay. I'm excited. So, during the elves... I talked a lot about Lord of the Rings. Yes! You did it! I'm so proud of you right now. <laughs> Please go listen to the Elf episode. It's so fun. So for those that did listen to the Elf episode, you will already have somewhat of a background knowledge to this, so it'll make it easier. So okay? much. Aule, the Vala, is the fourth most powerful of the Valar. Oh, man. Of whom there are 15. Okay. So this is, again, this is Lord of the Rings mythology, Tolkien's mm-hmm. mythology, right? Mm-hmm. And the Valar are the elves. Got it. Right. Okay. So um, Aule is one of the 15 and is the fourth most powerful. Got it. Aule is known as a great craftsman. Oh. He created all substances of Arda, which is where they live, um, as well as the dwarves and the vessels of the sun and the moon. Mm. He loves what he does and he and all he creates, but he doesn't concern himself with possessions or mastery. Mm-mm. So he's just like good at what he does. He doesn't care about becoming like the best at it. He makes stuff. But he is the best at it. Yeah. And that's like what's so cool about him. <laughs> Way to go, Lord of the Rings, Santa. Yeah. Um, therefore, for him, the dwarves that he has created, he does not command either. Okay. So they are just free-flowing. He's just happy to make them. The other dwarf origin story <laughs> is decidedly grosser than yeah. that. Continue. <laughs> um, and remember, um, the elves, they're like, God is yes. Aluvator. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said that name like Delilah. Aluvator. Yeah. <laughs> we had to bring... His name in. Thank God. All right. So the North Pole is thought to be the undying lands in the series. Yeah. So the reason we can't find it in the Arctic is because it doesn't actually exist within our plane. Oh. Instead, the North Pole is the undying lands and can only be reached from our world by way of the straight road. Oh. 
in order for um, Aule to visit Earth, he would have to take the form of a human. Um, this is uh, Gandalf the Great, right? I was Gandalf. hoping it came back to Gandalf. Yeah. He kind of looks like Santa. Right. Well, so Gandalf isn't Santa or anything like that, but that is his human form when right. he, like, ventures to Middle Earth. So this would we would think this would be the same thing. So Aule would have to become a human of some mm-hmm. sort, and he might take the form of maybe St. Nick or Santa Claus. Oh, cool. Right? That would be his disguise. Um, his reason for coming here would be that he wanted to share his creation of gold with those who needed it. So okay, that's he charitable. Made all this stuff like St. Nick. Yeah, and he's just like, I don't need it all. This I was just really excited. You guys can use some. Here you go. He's sweet. Um, and some of the dwarves choose to study under Aule, so he would have had like ha- happy little team of beings helping him craft up things Love it. and giving out some goodies. Good job. So that is the closest I can get. You did it. <laughs> to a possible Santa in the Lord of the Rings lore. <laughs> you did find it. You I made did. it happen. I'm yeah. very proud of you. <laughs> so. Andrew Jarima will be very excited. Oh, tell us about the Lord <laughs> of the Rings Santa. All right. Um, and if I left any Santa lore out and you have questions or you want to add or anything, please shoot us a message. Find us on social media. I would love to talk about ridiculous Santa lore forever. It's really fun. And there is more out there, believe me. Um, this is a way longer episode on Santa than I ever anticipated. So <laughs> you'll have to find it elsewhere. So toast. Okay. To, uh, to Santa. To Santa. <laughs> she is Santa Claus. Which really, that's that's all we got this week. I think it was just Santa, right? I think it was probably just Santa. And to all the good little girls and boys. Yes, the good little girls and boys, not the naughty. Not the naughty ones. Which I really hope the naughty become like a thing. I want my story to become mythological canon really badly. Mm. It's like they, they operate the bowels of the North Pole. I like it. Ugh, so scary. I like it a lot. It made me really happy to write it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a window into me. Oof. Watch the news as a child. (laughs) Anyway. I was too sensitive for the news. I had to watch the news because that's what my parents wanted to watch, and they did not believe in changing the channel for children's stuff. They were like, that's what's on. You can watch it or you can go do something else. Right, right. Go color a picture or, you know, play dollies, whatever. I did watch the news a lot, but sometimes my parents would be like, you should go elsewhere. You're too sensitive. (laughs) I mean, probably smart. Yeah. I usher my children out of the room when the news are on. Oh, my gosh. And if we were among the naughty, we, we would be dead. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. I think Naked Krampus is probably the most fun. He's ready to party. Ho, ho, ho!